The following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2008 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. There are a number of different names given to that land. Uh, you're familiar with many of them. But when we think in terms of replacement theology, again, I have to go back to their mode of hermeneutic. And here's the thing that gets to me, and I'll be talking about this uh, tomorrow night. What gets to me is that at Christmas time, you're going to have replacement people, believers, some of them believers. Not all replacement people are not, un, are not believers. I mean, some of them are believers. So you're going to have them saying, I believe in prophecy because I believe that hundreds of years before Christ, there was a literal, physical birth in a literal, physical place that was prophesied that he would be born. And at Christmas, we celebrate that time. And they would say, oh, we take this, the Bible literally, and we celebrate the incarnation. And then they do a switcheroo. They do a cut to the right or cut to the left and say, but... When it comes to the Jewish people, now Israel doesn't mean Israel anymore. It's no longer literal. We call that a double hermeneutic. Uh, we, don't, we don't like a double hermeneutic. We don't like a person to be one thing sometimes and another thing another time. We talk about that in politics, don't we? <laughs> we do. And so when we think of the land of Israel, it's called a number of different things. It's called Canaan, Canaan, uh, and I just listed a few verses. In some of these, there's numerous verses. In Exodus chapter 6, it's called Canaan. It's called the land of milk and honey, although there were times when people went to that land that they thought the Bible was lying. They thought the Bible was lying. This is anything but the land of milk and honey, but if you go with Friends of Israel and take a tour, you will actually see plants, Fruits, vegetables, growing out of sand. Out of sand. It's the land of milk and honey. It's called the promised land. Numerous times it's called the land of promise, the promised land. It's called Beulah land. It's called the holy land. It's called Emmanuel's land. God calls it his land. And it's also called the glory of all lands. Israel, this is God's place. His stamp is on it. And you know, if you've ever taken a trip to Israel, the first time I went in 1982, I was going, I had been a Christian about six or seven years when I went. And what struck me, certainly my heart was pumping as we were landing, they played Hatikva as the land was as the plane was landing. It was a wonderful time. But in those days, uh, you had to get out of the plane and walk onto the tarmac. And when we did, there were Gentiles kissing the land. I, I just that was a marvel to me. Several of them said, I feel as though I'm home. I, I was almost offended. Wait a minute. This is my this is my land. But they weren't lying. This was the land of the Bible. This is the place. Some of them had saved up for a long time, and they, they were here. 
God's land. It's just there's something about that place when you get there that really it's hard to describe. Well, how does God feel about this land? In Deuteronomy 11, it said it is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. God's eyes are on that land. Now, I'd, I'd probably tell you that there are a number of Jewish people who would read that and say, well, he's not doing a real good job because things are difficult there. But God has never abandoned that place, regardless of what it looks like. He has never abandoned that place or his people. He has certainly allowed them to go through difficulty, but his eyes are always on that land. And in Leviticus it says, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. We are talking about, we're really on holy ground here. This is God's place. And we have opportunity, those of you who turn 60, it, you had the opportunity the year you were born, you saw what so many people believed was going to take place, had to take place, prophecy fulfilled. Well, who did God promise the land to? Oh, that's the question. You could put that almost on a newspaper. Uh, they wouldn't allow God on the newspaper, not today. But whose land is it? Well, the Bible has settled that question long ago. It is God's land, and it's given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Key. Yes, Abraham is the first one, the father of Muslims, the father of the Jewish people, and yes, the father of believers, Christians. But it is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the descendants that that land belongs to. He said, I swore to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Deuteronomy 34. On Friday, May 14th, 1948, after really in 1897 when Theodore Herzl uh, founded the first Zionist Congress and they met uh, and he wrote in his diary, in five or 50 years, uh, it will become a reality that the land of Israel is a country. And you know, he was only off by a few months. And so on May 14th, David Ben-Gurion stood in a place hidden away, and he proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. In 1977, I journeyed from California where I was living, I'd been a believer two years, and flew to Atlantic City. And I was involved in a summer program in Atlantic City, New Jersey, with the Friends of Israel. And we had a course that we had to take, three-week course, and we had questions to answer and books to read. And there were some commentaries pre-1948, pre-1948. And again, I was a young believer. I didn't re haven't read a lot of Christian books, and I marveled that there were people reading from the Bible and then giving a commentary saying without hesitation, I don't know when, but the land will be reconstituted. It has to be reconstituted. There is going to be a land distinctly Jewish in the same place that David was. That struck me. How could these people believe that? When that place was desolate, when no one wanted it, when it was, it was just a forsaken place, they believed the words of the Bible, the same words you and I believe today. 
on May 15th, as they were celebrating the whole night before, and boy, when I was in Hebrew school, I used to see the movies the, uh, of the celebration that would go on, and we would always raise money uh, in the 50s when I was going to Hebrew school, money to buy trees and things like that. But I remember seeing the film Celebration, doing the Hora, dancing the very next day. The very next day. Israel with no army, no navy, no air force. Nothing. Attacked by nations that wanted to obliterate them and throw them into the Mediterranean. It's interesting, when David Ben-Gurion stood up, the first thing he did is he, he said, we extend an opportunity to our neighbors to lie peacefully together and work together for the common good. They were glad to be there and just wanted peace, and they were attacked. Now, it seemed like a simple thing. There was a man by the name of Harry Truman. Harry Truman, uh, interesting guy. If you've ever been to Key West, I've had opportunity to be at Key West, and you go to the little White House. Uh, you get to the little White House where he spent, I think, 171 days, and you see all these things from Israel, incredible things from Israel. Harry Truman felt he was Cyrus. He said, I'm Cyrus. You see, everybody told him not to recognize Israel when they voted when the United Nations voted. Don't do it, you're crazy, they're going into the sea, and we're gonna be the laughingstock. And he said, I'm Cyrus, I know my Bible, I am going to be the one. And he, we were the first country to recognize the nation of Israel. And personally, it's a conviction of mine, I believe that much of the blessing that we enjoy in this country, maybe not all of it, but much of it, is simply because we blessed Abraham's seed. But just as, just as Harry Truman's uh, friends said they're going to attack, they did attack, only Israel won that war. And if you want to read about some of those things, get our books on Zvi, Menno's dad, who fought in that war of independence. The stories that he tells are incredible. For instance, one that I can't tell very well but give you an idea, Simply this, all these people coming from Eastern Europe spoke all these different languages, didn't know Hebrew. The commanders were giving orders. Sometimes half the people went forward. They thought they were saying attack. Sometimes they retreated. They thought they were saying retreat. And other times they didn't move. And, and Zvi tells those stories. How could they possibly win? I'm telling you to me, again, a personal conviction. You read from the book of Joshua. I believe that miracles just as prevalent only certainly not given as revelation. Just as glorious as the battles that Joshua fought were fought in that war of independence. There's no other way to explain how they won. Well, undermanned and underarmed, Israel defeated them. The people of Israel live. They live today, and it's an amazing thing. Well, 60 years later, we have Mahmoud Abinajad. I better go back there. Uh, he has a promise. And you know, today, I, it's simply this. I can take you back to the 30s, to the 1930s. There was a, a madman that almost everybody in Europe said, ah, he's just a madman, don't, don't worry about him. It's not a big deal. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, everybody writes a book. Uh, mein Kampf, my struggle. He's a little, you know, he's a little crazy. No big deal. Yeah, 12 million people, 6 million Jewish people. Think about that. Ahnebinejad, 
We've had politicians who say, they're not that powerful. Don't worry about it. We can talk to them. Chamberlain, a nice man. I'm not, we're not talking about mean, nice, Chamberlain, peace in our day. He figured he could talk to them, reason together. He came back, famous picture, with papers. I've got the papers. Look, he signed the papers. Peace. All I'm saying is if you understand the 30s and you are looking now, the only question is, and there are some who simply don't believe Ahnebinejad. That's fine. But that's the question. Do you believe him or don't you believe him? Personally, I believe him. I believe him. Hezbollah, 2006, you're going to see a movie, a moving movie uh, on Monday. But in 2006, the war that took place uh, uh, from Hezbollah, there are now more rockets in the possession of Hezbollah now than there was in 2006. So what's going to happen? I'm no prophet. Uh, but I know that the situation is dire. Hamas, missiles are going in already. They go in every day to some parts of Israel. You might not even hear about them. How long? I know we have some Canadian folk here. We have some American folk here. How long would either side take it if... You know, we, we just lobbed a few rockets over the border. But they didn't hit anybody. They got close. They did some damage. But every day, a few went over. Uh, how long would you tolerate that? I can only speak in as American. If Canadians or the Mexicans, either one were doing it, it wouldn't take very long. Believe me, it wouldn't. And yet, almost all the countries of the world are saying to Israel, Keep it cool. Don't, it's no big deal. They, they overshoot. Their, their technology isn't good. Oh, yeah, your people are terrified. Oh, they're terrified. But, you know, you have to tough up. You have to be tough. That's what they're saying. Every day those missiles fly in. All over the Middle East, Middle East, Muslim children are taught to kill the Jews. In fact, there's a whole generation that has been growing up, and that's what they're taught. Kill Jews. It's a good thing to kill Jews. And by the way, everybody knows it. The Israelis know it. You can access it on, on TV networks like CNN. They've had specials about what is going on. They show them on, right on the screen. They have like Sesame Street uh, shows talking about strapping on a bomb and killing those Jews and blood that goes and being a shahit and and becoming a martyr, the little kids, three and four years old, doing that. And you know what most of us say? Most people just say, oh, that's, that's just a shame, and move on. Israel lives that way every single day. So why should we support Israel? I'd like to give you a few reasons from a secular point of view. Because, to be quite honest, and be here on Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, we're going to be trained from a professional. We're going to be trained by somebody who will really help us in framing each argument. And I can't encourage you enough uh, to make sure you're here because it's going to be based on secular reasons, good reasoning. But why should we support Israel? First of all, it's a stable place in an unstable area. Do you know that Israel 
supports the United States and the United Nations 86% of the time. That's a higher percentage than some husbands and wives agree on. That's true. 80, there is no other country, none, that has aligned themselves as closely as Israel and, uh, and the United States. Well, we're a strategic ally of the United States. We f they fight terror. They're really in the front line of terrorism. They're the ones that know how to do it, and they help us. And Israel has always offered assistance, even to countries that they don't agree with whenever the tragedy strikes. That's the way Israel is. They're a lover of life. They share vital military information. Why should we support Israel spiritually? God says the land belongs to them. If God says the land belongs to them, and we say we love God, what should we say then about Israel? It's pretty simple. We should be able to understand it. Genesis chapter 13, for all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants forever. The scriptures are Jewish. Underscore it. I, I'll tell you what, in the Older Testament, that's what I call it, the Older Testament text, you get Job. That's a Gentile book. Assuming Job wrote it, it's a Gentile book, a contemporary of Abraham. You get one in the Older Testament. In the New Testament, you get two, maybe. Now, why would I say that? There are actually scholars debating the Jewishness of Luke. But I'm a pretty reasonable person. I don't want to quibble. You get two, okay? So you got three. We get 63, and you get three. Is it fair to say the Bible is a Jewish book, okay? So we should support Israel because if you love the Bible and cherish God's word and you're here for several days to study God's word, you ought to thank God for the Jewish people for no other reason, for that, but there's more. <laughs> I've told this story before, but I think it's a good place to tell it now. I was in Oklahoma. I preached a message, and after the message, a man came forward. And as I was coming down the stairs, he came forward and he said, in a southwest drawl, I don't like Jews much. Whoa, I mean, after you speak a message, I don't like, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I said, are you a Christian? He said, well, yes, I am. So I said, well, I'm sorry to tell you I have a problem. I do? What's the problem? And then in a very bad southwestern drawl, I said, you got a Jew living inside of you. And then I said, deal with it. Look, think about it. Just think about it. Jesus Christ, born in Israel, raised in a Jewish home, followed the law, and our theology says he died for our sins and we trust him and receive him in our heart. Right? That's what we say. If for no other, if you dislike every Jewish person you've ever encountered, because after all, oh, Jewish people were stingy, were mean, were pushy. 
I'm sure you've never met a Gentile with that description. <laughs> but, but we'll, okay, we're that way. If for no other reason you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you ought to, love, you ought to thank God for the Jewish people. And so spiritually, uh, we think of the Savior as Jewish. And then our salvation. Our salvation is Jewish. Well, when you go to any party, you want to bring something to the party, right? One of the things you can do is whenever possible to let people know that Israel has a right to exist. You have an opportunity to stand with Israel. When it's uncomfortable, when, when you say, oh, if I say something, they're going to get upset, and I, you can stand with them and be a voice. If somebody says something that's not true, derogatory, you can bring something to the party and say, Israel biblically has a right to exist, and I thank God that they're there. Amen. We have a spiritual debt to repay. Those of you who gave to Menno's ministry, to hear the exciting things going on to Jewish and Gentile people, that's part of the debt. Not We don't pay to get anything. We pay out of gratitude. And we're really not paying because everything we have comes from him anyway. And so, but we have an opportunity to simply say, I owe a debt to these people. I'll never be able to pay it. And for all eternity, I am going to be in the presence of God because of these people. Remember to pray for them. Remember to pray for them. You know, there is a senator who gave a speech on March 4th, 2002. His name is Senator James Enhofe, I-N-H-O-F-E. He's a Republican, still serving uh, from the state of Oklahoma. And he gave a speech in the Senate on May 4th. Why? We should support Israel. You can access it on the internet. It, I didn't hear it, but it reads as a brilliant, brilliant message. Now, to be honest with you, most of us think somebody standing on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, uh, I'm going to get a sandwich, you know. I mean, I'm honest, but this was something worth listening to, certainly something worth reading. To think that this man stood there in front of his colleagues, and said the, several of these things. First, there's archaeological evidence that says it's Israel's land. And he went on to talk about 3,000 years of history that can be verified with hard evidence. I must tell you, I'm not into archaeology. The idea of sitting in the dirt, dusting stuff away, uh, working untold hours for maybe a piece of of char, uh, clay, something, or coin, just doesn't do anything for me. I'd rather go to the museum when it's all done and look at it. <laughs> I admit that. But thank God for archaeologists, because there is hard evidence. And by the way, do you know what the Palestinians say continually? No presence. Zero Jewish presence. That is not a temple mount. There never was a temple there. They say that. There is hard evidence, scholarly evidence, proof. And that's what the senator said. There was a people called the Israelites, the Jewish people, and they were in that land. And he said that. He says Israel has a right 
a historic right to the land and went on and outlined clearly some, some of the very things that I've talked to you about, clearly outlined their right to the land. Then he went on as point number three was Israel's practical value to the Middle East. And again, on the Senate floor, he told them that Israel is good for the United States. A number of years ago, I did an article in Israel, My Glory, on the presidents from 1948 on who have supported Israel. And regardless of which side of the aisle you're from, to one extent or the other, some of us wish, wish it was more, but every one of them, every one had a reasonably positive approach to Israel. Every one of them. The United States has stood with Israel historically. And so he goes on to outline the value that it has. And indeed, we already talked about that as well. Israel's land is uh, the found of humanitarian concern. And he went on and talked about the six million Jewish people who were killed. The years where no one wanted those people. And all they wanted was a sliver of land. And three years after the Holocaust came the birth of a nation. When from 1897 all the way up, up until 1945, there was no way it was going to happen. When that war ended and, and kind of the curtain went up, the world, including, by the way, the Soviet Union, said Israel must have a homeland, a humanitarian concern for people. You know, one of the reasons Jewish people go there, including from the United States, is it's the only place where you don't have to feel like somebody's going to get you including, by the way, here. Do you know American Jews often think, if they don't tell you, they think it. They sit next to a Gentile and they wonder, if things were as bad in here as they were in Germany, would the person they're sitting next to turn them in or hide them? It's a good question. He goes on to talk about the, uh, the, the fact that Israel is a strategic ally for the United States and talk about Israel as a roadblock to terrorism. And then he closes on the Senate floor with the very verse that I just gave to you from Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 to 17. He says, we must support Israel's right to the land because God says so. The Lord said to Abram, lift up now thine eyes, look from the place where thou art, for all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. On the Senate floor, those men had an, and women had an opportunity to hear why we should support Israel. Well, as we think about that land and those people and celebrate their 60th birthday, I believe you're seated here and at this conference for a strategic purpose. God is going to place you sometime in a place where you're going to be able to use some of the things that you have here. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause right now to give you thanks. We are indeed a privileged people. We have the opportunity to look back over 60 years as to the development of that new place. But it's really not a new place. It had been a place that you planted your people thousands of years before. It had been a place where you had called them out of bondage in Egypt, a place that Jewish people remember looking forward to even at Passover as they celebrate redemption and then 
uh, a number of years later, ultimately dwell in the promised land. It's a place that so many of us have had the privilege of visiting and walking, to walk the land of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a landlord that you're not done with yet, and much has to happen. It's a land that we have the privilege of being able to pray for. And so, Father, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And as the Jewish people are uh, settling down for, uh, for uh, sleep tonight and wake up on the first day of the week for a new week of work, we again pray for them. We wish them a happy birthday, Lord. We, we want them to uh, hear the word of God. We want them to respond to the word of God. We want peace for them. And so, our God, we give you thanks for all that you do. We're grateful for our Savior and what he means to us. In Jesus' name, amen.